Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now, it's not that long ago when Boris Johnson and Wright Bus were in the headlines together. They were both on the crest of the wave. Now they are lead stories on different routes, but both seem either at the end of the road or ready for a U-turn. The crisis facing Balamina and the embarrassment to be endured by the Prime Minister, just two of the topics between now and 12 noon. What did you make of yesterday into last night into this morning up to half eleven today when they go back into Parliament? Let me speak to John Tong who's been writing about this, following it and I'm sure as a professor of politics thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, John, good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Frank. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. You, you're no, writing in the Telegraph, wouldn't. you're writing in the Belfast Telegraph this morning, and you, you, you find reason to belittle all the main British parties. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's the luxury of, uh, of academia for you. But I mean, I don't think anyone comes out of this with, with credit, but obviously in terms of the, the Supreme Court case, I mean, this is unprecedented territory for a, a UK Prime Minister. In any normal circumstances, this would be a resignation issue, but given that we're almost certainly heading to a, an autumn election anyway, when the people will, will have their chance to pronounce their verdict on uh, Boris Johnson's short premiership thus far, uh, resignation is probably pointless. But I think, it, you know, if, if it were midterm in a government, um, it would be difficult to see how he could survive in office. So today at half 11, they go back to the green benches. What, what do you expect at half 11 today? Will it be after a short period of time when there's a few giggles and laughs and yo-hos business as normal or is there any such thing as business as normal now? Well, herein lies the, the difficulty. The Supreme Court made its decision yesterday that, that, that clearly um, it was illegitimate of Boris Johnson to suspend Parliament. But let's not pretend that Parliament was getting anywhere in terms of dealing with Brexit. All that Parliament had achieved was to mandate Boris Johnson not to leave uh, with no deal. That is important, of course, but the idea that Parliament had, had actually solved Brexit and spent its time seriously debating and, and making progress with Brexit when it was sitting, you know, Parliament prorogued was probably as useful as Parliament um, active in terms of actually dealing with Brexit, uh, in terms of charting a way forward. Remember all those indicative votes, all those options uh, that were voted down in, in the last parliamentary term, or what is actually now the current parliamentary term, Parliament wasn't, wasn't making progress. Now, what Parliament will do, once it resumes, is, is shore up the, the Ben uh, legislation, the, the Hillary Ben legislation, which does mandate the Prime Minister to seek a, an extension to Brexit from the European Union. 
I think Boris Johnson would be exceptionally cavalier now if he tried to circumvent that restriction upon him. If he really, after the drubbing he received in the Supreme Court yesterday from 11 of the finest judicial brains in the land, is Boris Johnson really going to um, try and follow through on his do or die uh, and try and leave the European Union anyway? by the 31st of October, even if we don't have a deal. Well, he still had he still had the confidence to say that yesterday when he was confronted by Sky in America. He said, the law of the land is we leave on the 31st of October. And the reporter said to him, it's not the law of the land. He said, it is the law of the land. So is that what he's worried about, that that will be tweaked where it's definitely the law of the land? Well, he may test that in a court of law, although I wouldn't be relying too heavily upon the advice of the Attorney General, uh, Jeffrey Cox, given that <laughs> Jeffrey Cox felt that proroguing was, uh, was perfectly legitimate and got an 11-0 hammering in the Supreme Court. So I'd be rather more cautious uh, rather than cavalier if I was Boris Johnson. It's true that it is contested legally. Article 50 um, uh, runs out, in fact, the, the, the extension to Article 50 runs out on the 31st of October. But he has been mandated by the Westminster Parliament to seek a further extension until the 31st of January 2020 if there is no deal. Now, it's, of course, still possible, but it's very much an outside bet that Boris Johnson can negotiate a deal at the European Council Summit uh, on the 17th and, and 18th of October. But beyond that, I mean, if I was Boris Johnson, I wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be you know, taking on Lady Hale again, potentially, in a, in a, in a court case, uh, given what happened yesterday. So... I think that in terms of the do or die, Boris Johnson has to die politically in the sense of leaving on the 31st of October. And then what will follow, of course, will be an election in which you can, Boris Johnson can enjoy a resurrection, um, politically potentially, because it will be Boris Johnson and, as he would see it, the people versus these political and judicial elites who, in his view, are thwarting Brexit. Uh, and that will be sorted out in a general election. Um, so, you know, we, we watch this space with interest. I mean, an election now seems certain. Whether Boris Johnson will trigger one, uh, try and trigger one himself, or whether it'll go via a, a vote of, be triggered via a vote of no confidence, we, we wait and see. And that's, again, uh, an issue for Parliament, the, the reconvened Parliament, uh, to decide whether there is going to be a no confidence motion from the opposition, but they don't want to do that straight away. Um, because they fear there'd be a no-deal Brexit. But Labour and the SNP were not on the same page yesterday. The SNP was quite gung-ho about triggering, triggering a no-confidence vote against the government uh, virtually almost immediately, uh, whereas Jeremy Corbyn was rather more circumspect about the timing of that no-confidence vote. Yeah, and in the article, you're right, you emphasise just the disarray that Labour is in. You remind us of how the Prime Minister is prepared to go against Parliament and how the Lib Dems are prepared to go against the people. Uh, you, you wouldn't have worded turn if you were a voter. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, th th this is the problem. I mean, um, the... the the Conservatives are, to some extent now, offering clarity on the Boris Johnson that they, they want to leave the European Union. Um, they will tolerate a no deal, but it's not their preferred option. Um, so it's semi-clarity from the Conservatives, I, I suppose, uh, although their route towards it has been you know, struck down uh, in the most senior court of law in the land. The Labour Party you know, displayed its loyalty to Jeremy Corbyn uh, this week, and loyalty to a party leader is laudable. But that loyalty to Jeremy Corbyn meant that we're still awaiting true clarity on Labour's position because Labour at its conference 
has not confirmed how it would campaign in a second referendum. Now, Labour's moved, it should be said, Labour has moved from its conference at Liverpool last year where Keir Starmer was fighting just for Labour to keep a second referendum with Remain as an option on the ballot paper. So Labour has, has travelled some distance towards a more Remain position since then, uh, o- over the last year, but there's still ambiguity over what Labour would actually campaign for. Would it campaign for Remain in a second referendum? Or would it campaign for its own super deal that it's somehow going to negotiate with the European Union? And hands up all those who think that Labour is going to be offered a much better deal than Theresa May's withdrawal agreement by the European Union. Where, where is the evidence there? So what would Labour do if the European Union says, yeah, you, you can have a deal for sure. It's the deal that we offered Theresa May. What does Jeremy Corbyn do then? And that's a question that remained unanswered on the conference floor in what was a very close vote at Brighton this week. One final question, uh, John, just in relation to the DUP. Uh, Do they get away in the smoke now, or are they going to be exposed? Well, the DUP, it's not, it's not a DUP courtroom mess of their making. I mean, uh, yeah, Arlene Foster was, you know, it was a misjudgment of Arlene Foster to claim that the, the government was well within its rights to prorogue Parliament. Um, you know, and 11 uh, legal brains have, have thoroughly disagreed with that. But this, you know, this isn't the DUP's problem. I think a more circumspect uh, government, um, one less cavalier, would probably help the DUP. An election fought before Brexit would certainly favour the DUP more than an election fought after Brexit if the economic forecasts associated with Brexit and certainly a no-deal Brexit uh, come to pass because if the economy is uh, in serious trouble then the DUP could be blamed as, as the Brexit party of Northern Ireland. There's only one party to, to blame for that. Whereas if the effects have yet to be felt uh, in a general election for this autumn it's conceivable that the DUP could still do well. I mean the, the, the political obituaries for the DUP have often been written and they've often defied uh, predictions and done very well at, at elections and again you know you've got this so called Remain Alliance but the parties are struggling to actually form that. If you look at seats that are vul- DUP seats that are vulnerable like South Belfast you know, there's, there's, there's vested interest there. Parties still want to compete. The Alliance think they've got a chance of it. The SDLP think they've got a chance of winning it um, and therefore, you know, it's very difficult to strike packs. Uh, obviously, North Belfast would be another vulnerable seat for the DUP, but will the SDLP stand aside for abstentionist Sinn Féin? You know, again, there's plenty in the SDLP would not want that. Uh, and that, you know, to all intents and purposes, may secure the seat for Nigel Dodds again. So there's much to play for in, t- in terms of that. Packs would harm, packs against the DUP would certainly harm the DUP's position, but whether they can take effect, I think is open to question. John, thank you very much indeed. To Professor John Tong. Ben Larry is the Deputy Editor with the newsletter. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Frank. Uh, ben, should we be looking at this through Northern Irish eyes or should we be seeing the bigger picture? I think both. Um, it's um, the first time in, what, a century? Um, home rule when that uh, caused one of the last parliamentary crises before the First World War, um, that uh, Ireland, North of Ireland, Northern Ireland as it is now, um, has has been at the heart of this crisis. Um, I think there's a really important thing to say, though, in defence of Arlene Foster saying that it was legitimate, in defence of uh, Geoffrey Cox giving advice that it was legitimate. And it's this. There, was, there were very unfair criticisms of judges, um, uh, unpleasant headlines saying enemies of the people and stuff. 
You don't need to engage in that sort of rhetoric to say that judges don't come out of this well. And here's why. Three judges in Scotland, the most senior three judges, all agreed that this was unlawful. Eleven judges. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Judges, the most senior judges in the land, all agreed that this was unlawful. But the three most senior judges in England and Wales, underneath that, the three most senior judges, the Lord Chief Justice, the Master of the Rolls, the President of the Queen's Bench Division, unanimously agreed that this was not the remit of judges. So isn't it interesting that in those three courts, they weren't split, they weren't different, uh, uh, whatever, within the courts. In all three courts, the courts for themselves agreed. Compared to the U.S. Supreme Court, which split 5-4 in the Gore um the famous election, Gore-Bush in 2000. So how on earth has it happened? Has that happened? That's a very peculiar thing. So far better legal minds than Geoffrey Cox, the Lord Chief Justice and the Master of the Rolls and so on, all agreed that this was legal. So how can you blame Arlene Foster for taking a view that very many brilliant legal minds and some professors of law in Oxford and Cambridge have? So it isn't as if judges come out of this well. This is uh, uncharted territory in which judges, you, looking at it from afar, could be seen to have maybe in some courts grouped together, which is maybe a bit of a pragmatic thing to do. So we're, anyway, we are in the situation we're in. Clearly Boris Johnson isn't going to challenge it. Clearly the DEP is not going to challenge what the judges have done. Clearly it's, it's made things even more difficult for Boris Johnson. Yes, but you, you mentioned, you, you, but in, in all of that, you compare the Supreme Court with the Supreme Court in America, which is much more political. The, 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 the Supreme Court here is not political. Yes, but that's, that's right. Um, what I'm saying is that, you know, you, okay, it's a very complicated subject. And as you say, the Supreme Court in America is political. Even in the Supreme Court here, there have been very ex, uh, extraordinary judgments over the, the decades on which judges of goodwill disagree profoundly. And sometimes there's more than one dissenting judgment. It's not just that there's one dissenting judgment, another judge dissents for a different reason. And it's very strange that that didn't happen at all in this case, and that the three most senior judges beneath it... And remember, if you're one of the three most senior judges beneath the Supreme Court, you're a pretty brilliant man or woman. Um, uh, uh, it, it's a very, very difficult job to get. Um, and they had entirely the same view as Jeffrey Talks. Anyway, all I'm trying to set the scene is that this makes a, uh, um, it's a disastrous outcome, aside from the rights and wrongs of it, in terms of everything is now worse. The divisions are worse, the quagmire is worse, the bitterness is worse. And the way out of it almost doesn't exist because there's another crucial context to this and another crucial context. And I'm, I'm not a big defender of Boris Johnson. I'm not a big fan of Boris Johnson, but I think there are a few things that have to be said in his favor. The Labour Party has ruled out a general election. 
for pragmatic reasons and under, under this is, would never have been possible in previous years if a government wants a general election it just happened but since we've had the fixed term parliaments act you can't get a general election well there are two ways again that's a little bit complicated there's a vote of no confidence which Labour also doesn't seem to want at the minute, or you have to three-quarters of MPs. So we're in a situation where the Prime Minister is trapped because the opposition party is running away from a general election, which it claims that it wants. And MPs have said that there can be no deal and that if there isn't a deal he has to write to the EU. That is an invitation to the EU not to compromise. What could be a more perfect invitation to the EU not in the middle of October to make any compromise and therefore that MPs have to accept what very many people in the UK think is a bad deal? So, you know, he's not, Boris Johnson is not the only person who's stretched the rules to the limit. There's also a view that the Speaker has stretched the rules to the limit. But the net result of this is further division, further bitterness, and a pretty disastrous outcome for the country. And it's very significant that the DUP are saying that Brexit might not happen on October the 31st. It shows to me a, a certain, well, retreat nervousness on their part. Sense of relief. Uh, I don't think anybody would be relieved. Um, that, fe- that, feeling you, that feeling you get when you're, oh, I'm just off the hook. Well, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're off one hook and maybe onto another hook. Um, it is difficult to see how there would be no deal now. But it's also difficult to see how there'll be a deal that very many people are happy with. And if there's a deal that other people aren't happy, that that very many if the country is as split on the deal as it was in 2016 then that creates further problems remember if you take as an analogy irish independence 100 years ago um, there was an immediate and bitter split as to the terms of independence leading to a, a civil war and the civil war politics that flowed from that have dominated irish politics and party systems ever since I'm not suggesting it's, that Brexit is going to dominate the next century in the UK, although it could, but it's going to be very, very many years before there's any sort of healing on this. Do you expect it to be hot and heavy in Parliament today? I do, and I, I think, oh yeah, I mean, there's going to be um, um, uh, lots of MPs are going to be lapping up. There's another thing that we have to bear in mind in this, and, and you know, what a speaker could have done what the court did is it drew a distinction between the proroguing of Parliament um, and dissolution of Parliament after a recess. There is always a recess for the party conferences. I mean, I remember this when I first remember politics in the early 1980s. Margaret Thatcher and Michael Foote and people like that. Conference was a big event and, and Parliament parliamentary business technically went on in terms of committees and stuff, I believe. But MPs didn't see it. There was no PM's questions. Well, now this that isn't a big problem for the Labour Party because uh, they're moving things around so they can get back to Parliament. This is no problem for the Lib Dems because they've had their conference. But very unfortunately, and coincidentally, I suppose, because I don't think the Supreme Court designed this, this is a disastrous problem for the Conservative Party. They not only have their uh, uh, conference next week, at which all the leading lights are there, the Prime Minister speaks, his cabinet's there, they're all watching, they're all listening, they're all plotting. I mean, every party deserves their moment in the sun. Whether it's Sinn Féin or the DUP or the Alliance Party or the Green Party, they all have their conferences and they get their little moment in the sun. Except for the first time in my lifetime that, um, that, that I can think of, the Conservative Party will not have that next week 
or will have it um, in a very heavily curtailed form because it isn't in Brighton, which is one hour from London. They can go to debates and rush up to Parliament. If there are key votes called next week, it will cause a massive disruption to the Conservative Party conference. And remember what John Burko did not do. Um, I mean, he may have done this this morning, but I'd be very surprised. He hasn't said, right, I'm going to respect the conferences. We're going to meet on Thursday, which is when the Labour Party conference um, begins. We're going to sit again on Friday. We're going to have Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday off so the Conservatives can have their conference like everybody else and reconvene next Thursday. Hasn't done that. Can they request a recess? Uh, I, I, you're into technicalities, I don't know, but um, I'm sure they will. I'm sure that Conservatives will. I, you know, they, they, this is a multi-million pound event, which all sorts of, I mean, as it happens um, for the first time as a journalist, I'm going over next week. Um, I've never been to a Conservative conference as a journalist, but um, there are all sorts of investors and events arranged and on, on every subject under the sun. Um, so I don't think it's something that they can easily call off. And if Boris Johnson uh, is not there... Uh, may, will he do a speech from afar by video link? I don't know. But it is certainly a temptation. And the Speaker um, and all sorts of people have been making things difficult for the government. It is a temptation to call two votes. And as I said, because it's not Brighton a hundred, um, an hour away, because it's Manchester, which is 200 miles away, um, uh, you know, a minimum of a five-hour drive if you have clear roads, um, is, uh, is another thing in, in, in all this. But Ben, so I, you know, Ben, I've got to admire, I gotta admire you. I've got to admire you here because this, this started off, uh, the whole conversation started off with Boris Johnson, you know, being an embarrassment returning to Parliament. And, and now you've managed to generate sympathy for the entire Conservative Party. That's, uh, that's good work. Well, I think that, you know, even if somebody, you know, is neutral of this or unsympathetic to the Conservatives, I think there would have to be some recognition of the point that John Tong was making, which is not as if um, anybody comes out of this particularly well. I mean, everybody says that Parliament comes out of this badly. I'm not even sure that I agree on that. I mean, this is a massive issue, whether or not the country leaves the European Union. It's split down the middle. It's been split down the middle since before the 2016 vote. In the 2016 result, and in most polling since, has been split down the middle. When a country is split down in the middle on a massive issue, the country hasn't done something wrong. It's just split down the middle on a massive issue. I mean, that's a healthy thing that democratically we've had a lot of time to think about the European Union. It just happens to be a disastrous thing in practice. So people who really genuinely believe that leaving the European Union is a disastrous mistake to make are going to resist it in every um, shape and form. And people who believe that the country left and all of the MPs voted, vote, you know, very many MPs voted for this referendum on the understanding that we would leave if the country voted that way and that it has to be implemented and mustn't be stopped. That's a very legitimate view also. So all I'm saying is I, I did say that I'm not... Uh, a particular fan of Boris Johnson, but there's no way that Boris Johnson is the only person who um, has questions to answer for this. 
but he has big questions to answer and he's going to answer them in Parliament possibly today. There isn't uh, PM's questions, but there will be. There will be significant questions being hurled around the the arena. Uh, ben, always good to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed. Ben Lowry is the Deputy Political Editor, Deputy, Deputy Editor with the Newsletter and your opinions, as always, are exceptionally welcome here on the programme. Uh, 028903105. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 